Hey. Um, what did, we we could not figure out what to do with these on today <laughs> because both of us were being lazy and we didn't want to <laughs> because I was up till so, one o'clock in the morning. Wow. So uh, yeah, but basically we're just gonna you know how most podcasts have like a mini series inside of them we're just gonna do that we're gonna do scary stories because they don't listen to podcasts yes but uh so yeah we're just gonna be each covering five scary stories we have selected mine might take a while because apparently (laughs) they take up 14 pages so we might be here for a while. Looking forward to it. But uh yeah. You go first. What okay. Let's see. I did not read these before, so I don't know how Neither to do it. there. Okay. We don't do this together. Alrighty. I'm in my bedroom, so I can actually lay down while we do this. I'm real. I'm realizing how bad these really are right now. So I'm just gonna find one. You, how about you go first? Okay. Uh, the t- I got all of mine from the Reddit forum. No sleep. Oh, uh, go. The name of this one is My Children Were Missing for 10 Years and They Finally Came Back. Nice. I hate kids. (laughs) Yeah. Carlos and Maria, when they when the love of my life, the day they were the love of my life, the day they went missing was when I start when it started. They will come back. Don't worry. And other quotes probably taken from inspirational books. I hated it. When they said they will come back, it made me question, will they, though? After, <laughs> after three weeks, the the police told me that they couldn't do anymore. They, <laughs> they gave, up, gave up after just three weeks. The first five years, I stopped licking myself. I stopped because I lost myself. I knew that if they didn't come back after five years, they never would. My last searches were in the forest. The many remote places that stood out to me were remote overground thickness where you could easily hide a body. <clears throat> the 23rd of July, 2019, exactly 10 years after their disappearance, uh, I was on my normal routine walk to the corner shop at the end of my street. And inside, I saw two small toddlers that started to call call me their father. However, that's the only thing I could understand. Oh my god, I just freaked out. Why? I don't know. I clicked something and it freaked out. (laughs) God, it almost deleted everything. Hmm. However, that's the only thing I could understand about what they were saying. They were speaking some foreign language. 
I couldn't understand. I didn't know what to do. So I thought, so I bought what I thought what I needed and got out of there as fast as I possibly could. I'm looking at the no sleep Reddit page and these stories are so long. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> I'm going to do one from these because I can't find anything else good. Let's just hope we didn't. So I might steal. Let's just hope I don't steal one of your. Right. <clears throat> also, he said toddlers, and it's been ten years. They'd be ten. They want to be toddlers. Oh, don't question it. <laughs> <laughs> one of October 2019, All Saints Day, three fifty three fifty three. Four very loud bangs on the front door. I woke up immediately after the first one. Once again, bang, 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 bang. I looked out my window and saw two police cars outside my house. I got dressed and ran down to see what was happening. I opened the door to talk to the police officer outside my door. Are you Jacob? Me? Uh, yes, why? We found your child, Maria. Seriously, where? What about Carlos? She was found near 62. And the boy was not with her. You found them near my house? My old house? Yes, sir. The residents of the house called us after she sh- she knocked on the door without stopping. At three in the morning? Yes, sir. Okay, let her in. After she was let in, and I said goodbye to the police officer, I asked Maria where Carlos was. She said, the man said that Carlos needs to accept Priyaka as his god. He said that Prika will... What was the story called? <laughs> My children went missing after 10 years and finally came back. Okay. Or something along the lines of that. I'm just making sure I'm not looking at the thing. Right now. The only other story name I remember is my wife had brown eyes, not blue, or something like that. Okay, and the other sister... And then two other ones. I don't know. The God will visit this world tomorrow and finish what he said. I told her to tell me what will he do, and she answered, "He will." And she she cut off and opened the front door. The police were still there, and some reason Maria shouted. Tomorrow is the day that God will take back the world and fill it with the omen. At that point, she walked towards the police and just ex- and just exploded into guts and blood. The police officer stood there. She straight up exploded. <laughs> she should... hold on. She just exploded. <laughs> she exploded just... in the guts and blood. Just no explanation. She just straight up exploded. <laughs> the police stood there behind their cars. The face painted with blood and chunks of my only daughter. <laughs> Are the police like really confused? <laughs> I mean, they just saw a child explode in front of them. I don't know. <laughs> the police called it in. Uh, yeah, we had a child <laughs> that just exploded. Is that actually what it says? No. The second they did that, the blood and other bits started hardening and turning black. Fresh coal black. 
That's not weird. <clears throat> the police had to wipe wipe it off, and the second it did, I just stood there traumatized as I saw my daughter explode. <laughs> That's what happens when someone explodes. You get traumatized. <laughs> Today is the day after that. On the news, they kept saying that thousands of people are dying from, for no apparent reason. Many God believers. Are they exploding too? <laughs> I guess. I mean, just, it, just people are walking in public and people just start exploding <laughs> into pieces. It's uh, not very healthy. Many God believers flock to the streets to say that if you get if you get baptized, you will be spared. My son came to me two hours ago with the word. Apparently, meaning God believer in some phone language, he said that I should get baptized because I'm the only fully grown Ashmaka that is alive. And then it hit me: the two children I met two months ago must have been calling me Achama. I remember because <laughs> they kept saying the word. First, I went away. I'm not. I am now sitting, contemplating whether I should kill myself, <clears throat> die of whatever is killing other people, or if I should join the crowd and get baptized. The end. So, <laughs> you said this is going to be a mini episode, but this might be longer than some Oh, part. yeah, this will probably be the longest episode we've done. Mini I should hope episode. I don't have to edit. <laughs> So that your dog isn't. My dog's not in here because she sat by my door. I kid you not, for three hours straight and just want. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Yes. All right. This is. They paid me five thousand to go through hell. (laughs) What I mean, I would take. I'd take one day. I would I'd go there for free. <laughs> you know, just give me uh, a large Okay, I go. <laughs> <laughs> it was the advertisement's outright simplicity that caught my attention. Revolutionize science. Earn 5,000. Call us now. Man. Wow, okay. I wish I could say I didn't know why I called them. I wish I could say it was some act of God or deception that drove me into their waiting arms. But that would be a lie. The truth is I called them because I needed the money. Because I'd gotten laid off at a publishing company I worked at and I was having trouble finding steady work. Because I was months behind on rent and facing my second eviction notice. Because I didn't want to be a failure, I called them for selfish reasons. Who are they? I'm not exactly sure. In retrospect, they're obvious... something of their identity should have been a red flag to me. But at the time, the request seemed too interesting. Their reward too vital for me to risk losing the chance to help them. My best guess is that they're a group of private researchers that are funded by some super corporation. They must be. Otherwise, there's no way they would have been able to pay for the machine. They showed me the machine the first time I met with them. It was kept in a cavernous room in the basement of a five-story office building. It was a work in progress at that time, but they were still connecting pipes and soldering wires. 
but even in an unfinished state, it looked truly magnificent. Have you ever heard of a sensory... It's sensory deprivation chamber. chamber. Can you shut up? I just know what you were going to say. It's called a sensory deprivation deprivation chamber. You're welcome. You are so welcome. What? What? (laughs) Nothing. Continue. Okay. Where was that? Okay. In fact, I had, in fact, I'd actually been inside one before when I was in college. Back then, I was on a real, I was on a real hippy-dippy spiritual journey. You know, meditating a lot, experimenting with fit psychedelic drugs primarily magic mushrooms that sounds like it does adding it to the list (laughs) at some point along that journey i felt motivated to spend an hour of my life in 60 dollars of my student loans inside a sensory deprivations chamber at a local spa your standard sense Sensory deprivation chamber is a large metal tank filled with about a foot of salt water. Oh, I think I was. Yep, Luna's almost did it. Yeah, okay. I definitely saw it. You step in in and float in the water, and someone, a spa attendant in my case, closes off a tank so it's completely dark. With your vision obscured and your body suspends in the water, it's supposed to feel like you no longer have your two primary senses. Depending on who you ask, this is supposed to be relaxing, enhance your creative process, allow you to reach higher consciousness, hallucinate, or maybe gain magic powers. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Not how that works. Well, I'm going to go My... really salty water. I'm going to get superpowers. <laughs> just imagine that you're superhero backstory. Like you're just at a group of superheroes. How'd you get your powers? Oh, some alien rock came down and I got radiation from it. I was in a horrible accident in the lab and got blasted with a bunch of chemicals. How'd you get your powers? Oh, I laid in some water with salt on it. <laughs> they put so much salt in this water. I am salt man. <laughs> yeah, he shoots salt. <laughs> Fear my <laughs> or I will burn your eyes and your guts. <laughs> Okay, get back to your story. Where was I? Oh, yeah. My experience at the Chamber of College was fairly lackluster. I remember that the water was too frigid, and the salt made my skin itch. Sea salt man's at it again. It was difficult. <laughs> this is a thing now. Salt man is now a character. It was difficult to concentrate on meditating or channeling my inner sh- chakra. Chakra. Or whatever the spa had promised. Truthfully, I did always wonder what it would be, what it would have been like to get in one of those things while tripping on some magic <laughs> mushrooms. But I never had the opportunity. Oh I mean, God. same. He has his priorities. Yes, straight. he does. <laughs> this sensory deprivation chamber didn't look anything like the one I used in college. This chamber looked like a vasected suit of medieval armor strewn across a large metal table. Thousands of tubes and wires connected to the metal body. 
which was about three times larger than my own body. The head or helmet of the chamber was colossal and around with a big brass pipe running out of its crown into the tiled floor beneath it. On the wall surrounding the chamber were 50 or 60 computer screens, 20 or so server boxes, and various iterations of medical equipment that I couldn't name if I tried. It dawns on me now that the utility bills and the computers alone for the machine must have been many tens of times higher than the measly 5000 they offered me, not to mention the salaries of the dozen, dozens of lab code co- co- coated scientist manning those computer screens again perhaps this should have erased my alarm bells but I, was, I ignored it with the focused ignorance of a man who was on the brink of homelessness the man who showed me the machine told me his name was dr monison he was a wrinkled balding man with a clean shave and focused eyes of blue when i saw him he was always clad in blue scrubs and clean white quote. Dr. Monison was the primary li- liaison for my envelop- envelop- involvement of this project. He explained the machine's purpose, brought me the n- necessary waivers, and answered all my questions. Questions like, so what exactly am I supposed to do? We want you to remain in our sensory deprivation chamber for three oh my days. God. I'm sure... My- You know that this isn't actually a, (laughs) you know this, you heard the title, you know this is obviously going to be a portal to hell, come on. I mean, he can't talk about water. (laughs) Nothing, continue. Okay. I'm sure my expression betrayed my sense of shock. Three days, is that, I mean, will that kill me? You probably would still be alive after three days in pure isolation. They would likely become gravely ill and suffering from immense dehydration. Regardless, the machine will hydrate, feed, and otherwise sustain you, dur- you during the experiment, so there is no risk of bodily harm. Dr. Monison went on to explain how the machine worked. In your standard deprivation chamber, the occupant is deprived of their senses of sight, feeling, and to a lesser extent, hearing. The deprivation... This process of shutting the outside world out from the occupant's mind decreases the burden of on their brain. Thus, the occupant's mind is free to wander more freely, free to think more creatively, to undergo a deeper state of thinking, to meditate, and so on. But there is a problem with the standard sensory deprivation chambers. Although the brain is freed from most external stimuli, the visual and auditory the brain will continue to be burdened by internal stimuli. This is to say the brain is still very aware of its own carrier, the human body. The brain will still react to the hunger and thirst of the vessel that carries it. It will still process both the need to and the action of urination and defecation. These inter- mm-hmm. Are good? These internal interruptions go on and on. But the point is that standard sensory deprivation chambers cannot truly be said to deprive the occupant of their senses. This machine is not your standard sensory deprivation chamber. Even... Oh, Lord, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. Calm down. What's time?
dinner time, actually. I'll be right back. Oh, here's a good time to mention that if you guys want to, like, email us, like, stories that you have, we will say them in, like, the mini-episodes, like, during this, like, when we do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, email us your stories, and I'll put, our uh, email is, our email is, Ghosts, killers, and cults at gmail.com. No commas, all lowercase. And there's an S after each one except for and, of course. But yeah. So, like, email us stories. Even a cursory glance at the machine made clear what the doctor meant. The inside of the exoskeleton portion of the machine is lined with a soft rubber that will acclimate to maintain the exact temperature of human skin. The tubes and wires control and regulate a wide variety of bodily functions. Through these tubes, the the body is automatically fed and hydrated. The unsavory functions of the body are handled with a catheter and another series of tubes. A respirator automates breathing and regulates saliva production. Even the body's natural sense of touch is completely removed while in the machine. The IV cord injects a numbing solution into the bloodstream that completely shuts off all feeling. The numbing agent is the most critical asset of our sensory deprivation process. The list went on and on. It became clear that they had truly accounted for everything. Okay. So they're just going to, so they're going to inject you with stuff and you're just like, all right with that. All right, let's do this. Okay, I I mean, when I went to the mental hospital, they came in at, like, 6.30 in the morning. My first, like, I went there, and then I went to sleep, and then the first morning I was there, Mm -hmm. they came in, and this nurse came in to take my blood, and she was like, good morning! I'm like, oh my god. 
she flipped on the lights and she was like i'm uh-huh. here to drink your blood i'm like okay i rolled over just laid my arm down and went back to sleep <laughs> <laughs> my stepdad yesterday woke me up by shooting me with a nerf gun well that's fine like he walked in and i was like halfway awake like what are you doing i saw him go into my closet pick up a nerf gun and just shoot me. And then I started getting mad because I was, like, tired. And then he just walked over and shot me in the head. And I hurt a little bit. Aww. Okay. So, my next story. I'm not done. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was just... We haven't even gotten to the hell part. What are you... There's, like, so much more. Oh, okay. I think. Wait, hold on. Is there? Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, my God. This is, like... So, this will be five hours by itself, probably. <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking about the episode. I'm talking about the story. <laughs> okay. So... Even for me, I was one of hundreds of applicants to be part of the experiment. For the first time in life, I was the first round draft pick. Scientists explained to me that I had been chosen for three reasons. Number one, I had no prior history of mental or physical illness that would make my experience in the chamber subject to intervening variables. Their words, not mine. I can't relate. <laughs> Number two, my height and weight were close matches for the machine's original shape. Can't wait either. <laughs> I would not although, qualify at all. <laughs> although the legs would have to be lengthened ever so slightly or by far the closest match to our initial design. And number three, the most critical, there was nothing happening outside of that of that chamber that would lead to an early termination of the experiment. I had no significant other, no job, no living family members. Not even a house plant to take care of. Jesus Christ. Oh my god. He they was... destroyed him. Oh my god. <laughs> like, not, they would, couldn't breathe easily knowing that I would remain peacefully within their contraption for the entire... Oh, okay, so like, they don't have anything to worry about out of the... Right, there wouldn't be no crazy psychopath coming and ba- breaking down their door. No, they're just saying that so, like, the guy won't have anything to worry about when he's in their chamber. Because he has nothing to go to, so, yeah. like, he wouldn't really care. He has nothing to worry about while he's in there. Yeah. Oh, my God. As soon as this is over, I have to tell you about my dream last night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Num- oh, number three was important to the scientists. They had specifically designed the machine to allow for three full days of isolation. The machine's process had to be interrupted early. It would have taken them a month to reset the machine and run the experiment again. Okay, I don't think they're literally going to hell, but I'm disappointed that they're not. No. But I don't know yet. I just feel like this is like, like oh, I went through hell, but not like actual hell. Right. Like, like this was torture. I wanted them to go to actual hell. And I'm sad. Okay. Unfortunately, number three also meant there was nobody to come looking for me. The intake process was long and detailed. 
I signed what felt like hundreds of liability waivers. I listened to warning after warning about the potential side effects. Although it is apparent that you have a clean bill of health, you should be aware of isolation process may be taxing on you. Our preliminary research suggests the disassociation, audio and visual hallucination, depression, time dilation, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and other neuro neurosis are potential effects. However, we such believe effects to be unlikely. They, that's a lot of effects, but okay. <laughs> you might want to slit your ooh, uh, trigger warning. You might want to. <laughs> You might want to slit your throat, slit your wrist, cut off your head, but get in my salt water. <laughs> For science. So they had given me several weeks to prepare for the experiment. My only requirement during that time was that I didn't substantially change my body weight or somehow develop bipolar <laughs> disorder. <laughs> And the okay, week, so you haven't randomly become bipolar. In the next two weeks, we just really need you not to get bipolar disorder. And thank you, please. Just we don't need that here. Can you like not? Somehow I managed. Man, wow. I spent those few weeks living normally, watching movies, applying for jobs, getting rejected for those jobs, and reading a few books. Jeez. When the day came, I was nervous to cite Dr. Monison's efforts to prepare me. The process will come in stages. At first, you may endure a mild state of stress. We anticipate that soon after, you will drift into a moderate state of euphoria for the remainder of the process. You will be signaled a few minutes before the experience is over by a short audio cue. This way, you will emerge from your state of sensory deprivation slowly and be able to re without any risk of shock. He played the audio key for me, which was a short musical clip of bells ringing. Then the little ceremony of deliberation. I was asked to remove my clothing and climb inside the machine. Get on my box, naked. Just strip down in front of all of us. No one's watching, except all of us. Pulls out a camera. <laughs> <laughs> There might be camera inside the thing. You never know. <laughs> okay. As I lay down inside the exoskeleton, I felt the warm rubber against my bare skin. Even with the chamber still open, I was confined on all sides by a metal shell on the machine. I would never be able to be in a dark box by myself. I mean, if I got my phone, I'm... Either. Well, I don't think you can bring your phone in there. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Slowly, the researchers began to attach a score of medical devices to my body. Felt strangely calm, though, even every brick of an IV, an uncomfortable insertion of a tube. But as a respirator. Inserting tubes! Don't question it. (laughs) As a respirator was placed on my face, I began to feel. A foreboding sense of unease. As I felt my body constricted and held it in a place, a single thought in my mind. Oh, God, what have I done? Well, buddy, I thought of that earlier. They stuck it up his... Oh! No, I'm joking. I don't know. 
The researchers perched the helmet of the exoskeleton inward on either side of my head, sealing off my ears. The world went quiet. A bed of sweat began to trickle down my sides. Then I heard a voice seemingly broadcast from inside my own head. Hello, this is Dr. Monison. I am speaking to you via a small speaker contained within the helmet of the exoskeleton. Your vital signs indicate that you're beginning to panic. This is to be expected. Please do your best to relax while we finish preparing you. I promise that the process will become pleasurable soon enough. Oh. <laughs> Don't even. <laughs> Some, somehow telling me to relax just made me more anxious. Before I could react, I felt the machine closing on my body. Already numbing agent that was being piped into my bloodstream was starting to take away control of my extremities. I tried to push against the machine but found that my arms wouldn't budge. I tried to scream, but the respirator held my tongue firmly in place. I was unable to move, unable to do anything except watch. And that is my worst fear. And that's not part of the story. That's my worst fear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just me. Just making sure you do that. I could still watch as researchers scramble around me to check vials and prepare the exoskeleton to finish buzzing. I could still watch as a giant analog timer appeared on the t- on a TV screen above me and began process time. Z- one what until death? Oh, one minute until deprivation begins. I tried again to scream. I tried again to plead to be let out. I found myself unable to feel any part of my body. I strained my eyes to. S- Get someone's attention, but no one seemed to be looking at me. 30 seconds until deprivation begins. Had my tear ducts been operating, I would have begun crying without anything else to do. I began to pray that this was a bad dream, to pray that I was in home in bed and not in this chamber. Five seconds until deprivation begins. The last thing I saw was the face of Dr. Moss leaning over me, waving to me, saying something I couldn't quite understand, posing the X. Exoskeleton. Son of a bitch. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Closing the exoskeleton's face over my own. Zero seconds until the deprivation begins. And then everything went dark. If I'd been controlling my own breathing, I would have begun hyperventilating immediately. <laughs> if I was controlling my own breathing, you know, I don't. <laughs> Well, he kind of can't. I never felt such a profound sense of darkness as in that moment. Unable to see even my own body. It was as if I had been extinguished from existence. I swam in every direction in search of a single iota of light, but found none. After moments of consideration, I realized that I had now been in the machine for some time. I had no reference point for exactly how long without outside stimuli of any kind. My only mechanism of counting time was by counting individual seconds in my head. Yet time ticked on. I found myself alert, alternating between, alternating, sorry, between obsessing and my imprisonment and finding myself adrift in my thoughts. I began to consider the state of my life, my recent unemployment, my lack of close friends, I felt a wave of depression come over me. Was my life really so meaningless? 
<laughs> that I could be snuffed out of existence for three days and no one would possibly care. Dang. Can relate. Shut up. <laughs> That's not true. I pondered the source of my isolation. I looked back to times I could have tried harder at my job. Images of friendships that I had let fall apart out of introversion and stagnation cascaded through my mind. And then I came across my thought, I had that were my body not numbed to the point of immobility would have made me burst out in laughter. I felt lonely. Lord. This is kind of depressing. Yeah. (laughs) I let my mic well, of course, I felt lonely. I was, at that moment, the most alone human being there had ever been. Surely, shut up, shut, sh- sh- don't even say that you are, because it's not true at all, so shut up. <laughs> Surely, there were researchers only a few feet from my terrestrial body, but my mind had isolated completely. I was alone as someone could be. I let my mind continue to wander. It felt as though I had been in Oh, wow. Whoa, you were in and out. You just, like, went full robot. Someone called me. I let my mind mind continue to wander. I felt as though I had been in the chamber for hours at this point, where I had planned to spend the time planning some sort of creative endeavor, the great American novel, perhaps. I found my mind repeatedly coming back to my current predicament. Obsessively, I thought about my body, in the container that currently hosted it. The numbing medicine must have been truly quite something. I could not feel the slightest whiff of breath passing through my nasal cavities or the rumble of my stomach. It was then that a pair of intertwining thoughts played on my mind. A, could I be dead? B, no, of course not. That would be ridiculous. I knew how I had ended up here. I knew that I had signed up to engage in the experiment that would put me in, in this exact predicament. But I must admit, I no longer felt very alive. Without my body or the surrounding world as the reference point, I felt as though I had no assurance that I still existed. My thoughts began dueling with one another. A and I guess B are like two different thoughts like colliding in his brain. Mm-hmm. A, surely I'm not dead. This is exactly what experiment is supposed to do. B, if you're not dead, then why can't you feel anything? Why can't you feel your breath or saliva or anything? A. I don't know. I'm not dead because I'm thinking right now. B, what does that mean? A, you know, I think therefore I am. Uh, okay, then. I think That's the meaning of life. I think therefore I am. A smart man could have told you who said that. But I was left with just that pro- pro- proclamation. From an unknown source, as the only assurance I was alive, as long as I was thinking, I was still alive. I began to picture myself floating through a void in space. The image was clear in front of my eyes. My body lay flat, my arms stiff, as I rocketed past stars and unfamiliar planets. I watched my body weave past asteroids and through planetary rings. I felt the warmth of the sun on my body and the cold ice of the frozen planets on my skin. Except I couldn't really feel those things. I had to remind myself of that. I was starting to imagine feelings that weren't really there. I was sure how I could try to avoid these feelings or just embrace them for the duration of the experiment. Just another question to ponder, I suppose. 
there came a time when I realized I had been sensory deprivation for a long time. Since I had not been counting, it was impossible to know how long. It felt like it had been days already. Had it been days already? There was a worrying thought, and a time was avoided. Three days stretched on like an endless millennium. That assured me that I would only be inside of this machine for three days. But how could I know for sure? Once I was inside, I had no way of getting out. They could keep me for here as long as they wanted to. Maybe that was their plan all along. A. How could they get away with that? B. Who knows what all those liability waivers I signed said. I stopped reading them after the third or fourth one. Maybe I agreed to this. A. You're being crazy. B. I don't know if I'm crazy or not. I don't know how long I've been here. A. So count. That was right. I had one way to tell how long I'd been inside the machine. Counting. One. Two. Three, four, five, and on and on. I counted to 60. That was a minute. I found it. And then I counted another minute, and another, and another, and another. I just kept going and going. I never lost focus as a hand. Then I hit a thousand minutes, and technically, <clears throat> a thousand minutes was only a little more than 16 and a half hours. Certainly not the 30 day period I was supposed to be inside the machine. But that was 16 hours on top of all the time I had already spent thinking about my life and dreaming about floating through space. Surely I had spent longer thinking to myself than I had counting. I tried to guess how long I had been in the machine. It kept felt like I'd been more than three days. I just kept trying to tell myself that I would be let out in the machine soon. I let my mind drift off again. My body was once again floating through space. I watched it drift farther and farther out into an endless void of darkness. The planets and suns shrunk into oblivion until I was truly deeply alone in the black abyss. A creeping feeling of cold began to set in. Its biting stings fed up my leg and torso to my face. My naked skin turned a pale blue and began to harden into a crystalline husk. As my body drifted further in darkness, I watched the surface of my stomach crack and chip. Slowly, chunks of my body began to break off and float into the darkness. With each exploded scrap of flesh, a new wave of pain cascaded through my body. I found myself trying to grab onto my frozen body and put it back together. But my arms and legs were so cold that I could not budge. I tried to scream, but my tongue had swelled so large that it filled my crumbling frigid mouth all at once my body exploded into an array of jagged bloody sharp of ice the pain was indescribable but then i was again alone in darkness bodiless without lungs to expel the panic breaths i was so desperate to create i had to keep telling myself it wasn't real i'm still alive my body is still here somewhere a but god didn't it feel real b but it wasn't real a Real or not, didn't it hurt? B, yes. A, are you scared? B, yes. A, wait, do you hear that? I listened through my ears that were a million miles away, a voice, not my own voice in my head. It was bristly. Ac- its bristly accent was familiar. Hello, this is Dr. Monison. I'm contacting you again via the small speakers contained within the helmet of the exoskeleton. I am proud to announce that you have successfully completed 33 days within the machine. I felt my alarm melt quickly, 
it's relief. I tried to smile to a little avail. At this juncture, we would like to update you as the status of our experiment. The data we're getting from your brain scars is pro- proving incredibly useful. The medical implications are numerous. We have contacted our instructional review board and obtained permission to extend the experiment indefinitely. This, of course, with the liability waivers that you signed previously, the machine should be able to keep you alive for a few more weeks until your body becomes unable to support any further. Don't worry. 5000 will nonetheless be credited into your account. Thank you for your contribution. Your sacrifice will save lives. I tried to scream. I tried to fill my arms and protest and push back against the doctor's words, but my screams were silent and my arms were no longer part of me. I felt a deep, echoing hole of dread grew inside me. Yeah, I'll never truly feel anything again. I would die in this chamber. It would take days, and those days would feel like months, and those months would be torture. I again saw myself floating in, in an immeasurable darkness. There were no star- stars no or planets. There was only my body unequivocally alone, arguably alive, but inevitably, inevitably dead. Inevitably dead. I stopped counting the seconds and just let myself float. My mind wandered again, this time for longer. I dreamt of my childhood and of a future I would never get to lead. I made an imaginary bucket list and felt remorse for the boxes I had not yet checked. I held conversations in my head between old friends and lovers, and sometimes I didn't think at all. Sometimes I disappeared from existence altogether. But then I felt it. I felt something. I couldn't tell what it was at first. It had been so long since I felt something that I couldn't tell if it was imagine if I was imagining it or not. It was my big toe. My big toe on my right foot somehow, some way. It had it still had feeling. Not a lot of feeling. It felt like when you sit on your hand and it becomes almost but not quite numb, like it was being massaged by sets of pins and needles. I moved the toe around, the little that I could, to try to understand how the feeling had come back. Then I felt it, a tiny prick, the slightest droplet of pain against my big toe, something sharp, an IV needle. It must have become dislodged somehow. Maybe one of those lab coat-wearing schmucks tripped tripped over it or something. All I knew is I could feel again. I'd suddenly feel like I had been born again, like I had died and risen from the ashes. This needle must have been one of the needles that was supposed to deliver the numbing chemical into my body. Somehow it got dislodged and now I just have a little feeling in my toe. Fortunately, my big toe was hardly the vestige of my body most suited to orchestrate my grand escape, but still I feel Measurely happiness because I had a secret weapon on my side. The secret weapon is his right big toe. I know that's such a great weapon. It's gonna be so useful. Probably will. Yeah. Let's go save his life. It's fine. There's an old adage that goes: If you give a monkey a typewriter in infinite time, he'll eventually write the complete works of Shakespeare. Similarly. The particularly numb big toe in infinite time to think I could craft my grand escape. My big toe was too weak to push open the exoskeleton despite my straining. It's unable to reach any other crazy pull and note. All I could reach was the IV needle that had already been pulled out. And with that IV needle, I hatched my plan. 
scraping my big toe, my toe across it. It stung, but I knew it, it would do the trick. I knew that had forced those stupid scientists hands. My efforts had made a cut in my toe skin, and now I knew I was going to be okay. They had only two options. Let me bleed out, in which case I would be least be free from this hell. Or let me out of the chamber, at least long enough to reattach the IV. Either my plan was foolproof. Either way, I was going to be free, at least for a moment. It only took them a few minutes to notice what I had done. This is Dr. Monison again, communicating via the, the tiny speaker in my helmet. In the helmet of the exoskeleton. Since you have managed to injure yourself inside the exoskeleton after some discussion, we have ejected the pause of the experiment and correct the error. Stand by. The exoskeleton will be opening shortly. The light soon flooded my eyes, all but blinded me. As the machine opened, I, I passed the sounds of its electronic thunks and whirs and the conversation of the men around me. The quick tug as the needle tubes were removed from me felt better than any touch I'd ever experienced. They let me out. I was free. My body was numb for hours. The medicine prevented me from making any movements at all. During that time, scientists left me in the exoskeleton as they went over data and bandaged my big toe. I tried to listen to everything they were saying, but found myself unable to concentrate. The bright lights above me burned my eyes, which had grown accustomed to perfect darkness. As the drugs slowly left my body, a dual ache developed in my joints. After a while, my body was hauled out of the exoskeleton by a team of lab coats. I felt a dressing gown slip over my head. I was popped into a wheelchair, still unable to move. I listened to the roll of metal wheels as they pushed the chair deeper and deeper into the lab. Explain again about when you were floating through space. Was the sensation? What was the sensation like? Please let me go. I can't. You know that the data we were getting from you is too important. Lives are at stake, and besides that, we can't risk you going to the police. They will. You will be going back into the machine. This conversation had been going on for an hour in the tiny interrogation room set up somewhere in the research massive underground lab. Although I had regained enough feeling to speak, I still found movement as quite difficult. It was clear as soon as I outlived my usefulness to the lab coats, I was going to be placed back inside the machine until my bodily demise. The data that the scientists had gained so far was so useful that they had no problem holding me against my will. As I sat in the tiny metal room tied to cold folding chair, clad I was clad only in a thin dressing gown, I considered my fate. For $5,000, I had sold away the rest of my life. My only respite now that was that I could delay going back in the machine for as long as I resisted. Dr. Monison's questioning, but I knew I was just delaying the inevitable. I stared down as my big toe, now wrapped in bandage somehow, had not done me that even if I got out of the machine, the scientists were like unlikely to let me go out of the building alive. Not after they said me, not after they said to imprison me until I died anyway. What if I don't answer the questions? The data and we intend to receive from the those questions is critical and could save lives, but if we cannot elicit it, the information received from Kusin will be sufficient. If you won't answer, we will return to the machine now. So it didn't matter. 
I was already doomed. I might as well delay for as long as I can. Fine, ask me what you want to ask me. I answered hundreds of questions, most of them multiple times. It took hours. The scientists barely listened to my words. There was a recorder placed in the room with me. I'm sure someone would dig through my answers later. But not for now, the state, the conversation seemed to be mostly for posterity's sake. At some point, though, I realized, what? Are you yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. It's a very loud sigh. Yeah, sorry. At some point, though, I realized something. The drugs had completely left my body. I could theoretically move again. For now, I was tied to a chair, but they couldn't keep me tied up if they wanted me to go back into the machine. From that thought, I came up with a plan. I knew it would only have a few seconds. I knew I couldn't run immediately or they would catch me. I would I would have to convince them I was resigned to my fate. When the questioning concluded, I found myself being pulled back into the chamber containing the exoskeleton, perhaps assuming that I would flee otherwise. The scientists kept me tied up in, during transit, but the ties came off when I was trying to put me in the machine. They stripped me of my nightgown and lifted me inside the machine. I let my body go limp. As they did, being the same numbness that they had until recently restricted my movement. As I laid down in the rubber interior of the exoskeleton, Dr. Monison spoke to me through the loudspeaker in the ceiling. I am sorry we have to part again. Your answers will be invaluable for the future research. I know it may seem now like we are villains, but the research we're obtaining is invaluable. It will save the life someday. You are doing a valuable service to the world. <clears throat> As his speech ended, his researchers again approached to fill my body with needles and tubes. I was eager to make my escape, but I held tight. They would have to believe I was unable to move. Oh, God. This is so long. What? You? Yeah, this one section's been 13 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even the entire story. Also, I this is like one of the sick. most boring stories. It is boring, but like it's also terrifying. Yeah, it's boring, but time. also intriguing. Like I want to know what happens, but like I'm also about to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly just did the first story. God I damn it. <laughs> I felt pinpricks. In my right arm, I was already being loaded up with the numbing agent. My time was going to be short as some of the lab coats approached me on my left side to insert another IV. I launched myself upward, so I was standing inside the machine. <laughs> Surprised by my sudden... Yeet. What? He yeeted <laughs> himself. <laughs> Surprised by my sudden motion, the scientist on my left recoiled. I felt a sharp pain in my arm as IV in tubes. Held tight against the strain of my sudden motion. He just whipped the room... tube out of his throat. <laughs> the room exploded into panic. Men rushed at me from all sides. I felt my body moving as if on its own violation. My left arm reached towards my right and ripped a series of cords and yelled out of my body. Blood sprayed onto the machines. My right arm fell loosely to my side. 
I propelled myself out of the machine and onto the floor, naked as the day I was born. (laughs) (laughs) The The numbing agent had disabled my right arm, but most of my body was fine. I sprinted towards the door through which I had entered the lab. What now seemed like a millennium ago, I did not dare turn back to see I was being chased. All I could do was run. So I pushed the door open. I saw a long hallway that had led to a set of alternating staircases. Staircases I had walked up and down several times. Wolf of pain for the experiment. Stairs that I had always presumed I would one day walk up for the last time. I pushed my body as hard as I could. I ran with my right arm dangling limp beside me until I reached the stairs. Behind me, the angered yells of men and the thud of their footsteps remained consistent. I knew that if they had caught me, it was game over. Can you, when I reached can you the, imagine walking down the street with your child, just talking about their day, and then this naked-ass grown man comes rusting <laughs> out of this building? <laughs> <laughs> Little Timmy was never the same after that day. Little <laughs> Continue with Little Timmy. <laughs> when I reached the stairs, I practically jumped up the entire first flight. <laughs> As I returned to climb the next flight, I was told that only two men had kept pace with me suddenly. I was filled with hope. Perhaps I could outrun them all. Then I would go to the police and get the chance, get to the chance to put this whole operation in a microscope. As soon as I got to the top of the second flight of stairs, through the exit doors, I would be free. My hopes were dashed as soon as I reached the top of the stairs. At least fifteen men guarded the building's exit. Clearly, my escape had been contingent. Had been a contingency for which the facility had prepared. As the men approached me, me in front of me, I knew there was only one way I could go. The alternating staircases continued past the first floor all the way up to the roof. I kept running, staircase after staircase, my aching body protesting each step, my dead arm banging against the stairs railings and walls as I made my way up the stairs. Are you good? <laughs> I'm imagining this naked guy running <laughs> up the stairs with this just sloppy arm hitting everything. The sounds of angry men filling my ears as I took step after step. Soon I was on the last staircase. A ladder hanging from the ceiling was led to a hatch on the roof of the building. That was it. I was going to see the outside world again. I didn't know where I was going to go once I got up. At, once I got up there, but I knew I was free. I jumped into the ladder and pulled myself up. I was about six feet in the air when I reached the top. I pushed the hatch. It was heavily, it was heavy and barely budged. I strained against the hatch for a moment and felt a tight grip on my ankle. Oh no. One of the men had caught up. He had wrapped his cold hand around my leg and was beginning to yank me off the ladder. I turned slightly and saw it was Dr. Monison. His eyes were red and large as saucers. 
it looks like his eyes. He was looking into the eyes of the devil himself. It was like looking into the eyes of the devil himself. Dr. Monison is not the devil. Well, that we know of. Yeah, that we know of. I rejected purely out of instinct. No, I reacted purely out of instinct. My grip on the ladder tightened and swung my free foot at the doctor's face. My heel collided with his jaw, sending teeth and blood flying all directions. I could help but I couldn't help but smile at the feeling. <laughs> it hurt like you wouldn't believe, but it felt damn good to feel something. Dr. Monison relaxed his grip. I pushed upwards again and the hatch gave away. I clambered upwards onto the flat roof of the building. Oh, wait, where did I leave off? Oh. A thin layer of gravel covered the rooftop. The sharp stones poked at my bare feet, but I kept moving. I ran to the edge of the roof and looked out into the city. A beautiful horizon of skyscrapers and stars filled my view. I felt the cold breathe against my bare skin. Just imagine people are just walking by this building. <laughs> they look up. And just a full-grown naked man is just standing on the roof. <laughs> I would slow up, but like, (laughs) uh, the the voices of men behind me barely registered as I clammed onto the edge of the roof. I must have been a sight. I must have been a sight to people walking by on the sidewalk below. (laughs) Oh my god! Yes. Yes, you are. Yes, yes, you are, man. You go. You do it. (laughs) Do a flip. (laughs) A naked man standing on the edge of the building, staring at the horizon after never seen one before. Please come down from there. You don't have to go back in the machine. We just need you to come down. That's a lie. I knew at the moment it was Dr. Monison again. His voice was hard to understand now that he had, that he was short a few teeth. I turned away from the horizon and looked at him. He was surrounded on all sides by other men on my foot. I knew at that moment that I had real no choice left. Could I believe Dr. Monison wouldn't, that he wouldn't put me back in the machine? Probably not. I had no choice to escape at this point. There are too many for me to get away. Just as one of the researchers reached back to grab me, I took a step backward. As my body tumbled to the earth below, I found myself laughing. It was just like that when I was in the machine. My body was floating once again. The cold air numbed my body, and once again, I couldn't feel a thing. Just before I struck the ground, the sound of a church bell rang out. Hallelujah. I figured I must be on my way to heaven. No heaven came. Instead, I found myself in complete darkness, feeling nothing, seeing nothing, simply Rumitating my previous action. Is this what death is like? And in answer to my question, I heard a voice. Hello, this is Dr. Monison. I am speaking to you again via a small speaker contained within the helmet of the exoskeleton. You have successfully completed your three days within the exoskeleton. Holy shit. Oh my god. <laughs> He was in the entire time. Oh, my God. What a twist. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh my God, Timmy was never scarred. Timmy is the same. Timmy, Timmy's the same. Timmy never saw the naked man on the roof. <laughs> Had I not still been pumped full of numbing drugs, I would have wept. I w- oh my god, that imagine that experience. Oh god, I could never. I would die. We're currently in the process of opening the machine. At that point, we will perform a physical assessment. I'm sure you are anxious to leave. I can assure you that we will move as quickly as possible to make that happen. Thank you so much for your assistance with the project. It has been invaluable. Three days. I had been in that machine for exactly three days. It ain't click for me until they were pulling me out of the machine. There was no bandage on my big toe, no needle near my foot on which I could have cut myself. The facility was nothing but accommodating in hours after the experiment terminated. They provided me with a comfortable place to rest while the remainder of drugs left my body. Although they asked questions about my experience, they were not hostile when I refused to speak. The researchers were happy to to answer my questions about the experience. Happy to tell me it was all in my head. In the following days, the experiment... In the days following the experiment, Dr. Morrison made sure I was provided with any mental health resources that I requested. He connected me with a therapist that I had been seeing for several weeks. The therapist had prescribed me an antidepressant, which I take twice a day. I returned to my normal life. My rent is paid. I am seeing someone new. I got a job at another book publishing fantasy. It's like all fantasies have come true. Imagine he's like saying all this, and then at the end of the story, it says, "This is Doctor Monison speaking to you." <laughs> <laughs> um, watch it happen. I'm just yeah. I'm pulling it now. <laughs> it's like all my fantasies have come true. But no matter how long I talk to the therapist, no matter how many pills I take, I can't get the machine out of my head. I can't stop thinking about how these three days seem to extend indefinitely. A you but you're out of the machine. Your three days are up. B, yes, but A, but what? I was out of the machine once before, but that wasn't real. But it felt real. Does this feel real? I don't know anymore. Could three days feel even longer? Could I imagine a therapist, a job, and a better life? I don't know. Sometimes I close my eyes and I'm too afraid to open them because I'm worried that when I do, I will see only darkness. I'm scared I will find myself still floating motionless against those imaginary stars and that's the end of the, the story oh my god that was the longest <laughs> i would have i was really hoping at the end that he would just say this is a dr monison speaking to you via oh my god that would have been a <sighs> so how do you how do you like this story? oh my god it was so long <laughs> should we just not tell any more stories no, because because I, I have a so life much. to get through. I have a life. <laughs> so do I, but it's only six twenty. We're fine. I, if we go past, I'm trying to go outside. <laughs> <laughs> I will make you a deal. <laughs> <laughs> if we go past seven fifteen. <laughs> Whoever is telling the story 
at that point in time. We'll finish that story, and then we're done. I can still go outside <laughs> of one calling you. <laughs> oh, God. And I was like, what the hell? Well, I'm just going to go around the neighborhood. <clears throat> okay. That was, t- oh my god, that is like oh, my worst god. nightmare. You know, I wanted to do the sensory deprivation chamber. Not anymore. Yeah, I'm never doing one. <laughs> nope, not today. Okay, so my story is called My Wife Used to Have Brown Eyes, but now they're blue. Spooky. I know. <clears throat> Maya, Jesus, just her name since she was down my spine. It's so difficult to find a way to describe this woman and way this woman in the way that accu that <laughs> good accusationalizes who she is. I mean, essentially, she's perfect in every single way. She is my partner in crime, the light of my life. I hate people and who also- say that my partner in crime. <laughs> No, my partner in crime. No. No, 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 no. (laughs) And all other complete cheesy things I could call her. Maya is completely, totally, in every sense, my everything. I mean, being married is a very serious commitment. What do you say? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Man. (laughs) I've always told her. So death do us part. And so death do us part and some... And then some. It means nothing anymore. <laughs> and I've meant that. Always have, always will. So in that context, when <clears> the <throat> accident happened, I thought this would be nothing for us. We, we'd survived 11 years of marriage. So in that context, when her accident happened, I thought this would be nothing for us. We'd survived 11 years of, mar- of married life, and then... By- and then a little accident wasn't going to stop Maya and I. Of course, she had to stay in the hospital for a little while, and there was about a week when I couldn't see her, but eventually I brought her home. The plan I had in my head was trying to get everything back to normal. We were going to follow a routine, get me and Maya back on track. I just wanted to move forward and forget everything about the accident. But alas, that was not the fate, <clears throat> what fate had in the store. You see, after those two days, a slight twitch a gut feeling that something was off. At first, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I figured it out. It hit me like a train. Maya, my Maya, had brown eyes. But suddenly, her dark eyes had turned into icy, cold blue. I wanted to think it was fake, a joke. So I approached with my discovery. Maya, he asked thoughtfully. Yes, Cameron. She didn't look at me, then, then struck which struck me as odd, but usually I made a mental note. Are you wearing contacts? What? My wife spammed. Your eyes are brown, Maya, not blue. Cameron, I think you need to lay down, she chuckled nervously. My eyes have always been blue. No, I thought sternly. What is this magic? No, they have not. But what else could I do? Arguing which would, which would do nothing, I meant. Okay, love. If you're sure, I respond. 
What else can I do? Arguing would do nothing. Okay. Okay, love. If you're sure, I responded and left it at that. Ever since that day, I started noticing other everything. The different tints of brown in her hair. Maya's response responses to food that I thought were her favorite. I could swear she'd never been slightly shorter than I once thought she was, and her fingers were a little too thin. And most importantly to me, her eyes seemed to get to be swollen, along with the entirely wrong color. It's wrong. She's wrong. Hold She's on, not mine. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I can I can imagine noticing like everything, but her fingers being too thin. How often are you, are you feeling her fingers? I mean, Just I can looking at them. Don't even. Fingers. I don't. How? Oh. <laughs> Have you ever held hands with Sarah? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, <laughs> there's a couple of others. Of other. That's not so little things I thought I thought I could share that would soften my case. In the morning, if I wake up early enough, I could hear my sobbing in the kitchen when she was alone or think she's alone. I started scratch. She started scratching on the walls. It's either that she's. It's not creepy. (laughs) It's either that, or she's tried to open things like drawers, cabinets. She's gotten into three drawers so far just to find them empty. Then she loses it, screaming and crying. After things like that we have... After things like that we have talks. It's so difficult with things like this. I tried to help Maya just after our incident. I tried to be patient with everything going on in Maya's life. I tried to get us back on a routine, too, but it didn't work. She didn't want it to work, yes. I could overlook her different colored eyes, her t- annoying tantrums of scratching and screaming. I could ignore everything, but one night, everything reached a conundrum. Listen, I've tried to ignore her tantrums. I really have. Most nights, I just put a pillow over my head until she wears herself out, but tonight I couldn't. Maybe it was Maya trying to muffle her cries, or maybe it was the sound of the padlock slamming onto the window. Whatever it was, I couldn't take it. She pushed my limit. I got up and made no effort to quiet my footsteps as I went to confront her. I heard her gasp, and she turned to saw me. Maya, I said tiredly. Those, those aren't coming off until you learn to adjust to this household. We've talked about this, about our routine. Cameron, please. I just want to leave, she begged. <clears throat> I want to see my mom, please. I've told you why you can't see her, Maya. Please, 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 please. Maya, please. (laughs) Enough crying, Maya. (laughs) I lost my temper and snapped. Are you peeing? (laughs) I'm washing my hands. I thought I could have, I should have had, although I shouldn't have. I regret my actions immediately, but it was too late. She flinched away from me and tried to shrink onto the floor, shaking. I said, I'm sorry, darling. I didn't mean to yell. Forgive me. Stress of work. I crouched down and held my hand, motioning to her. She yeah, definitely... Sh- what? <laughs> she defiantly shrank, sh- shrank away from me 
And then a bed. I'm gonna, Fire. I'm gonna have to get off after this after this story. How long is it? Not that much longer. Okay. Estimated time. Hmm. Estimated amount of time will take. Maybe like ten more minutes. Okay. Maybe less. Okay. Maya? No, Maya, I said, most sternly this time. That's not my that's not my name, the hall echoed with her cries. At this at the time I took everything in my power to be the best husband I could be, not to lash out, to be responsible. Do you really want to stop that? Do you remember what happened last time? And just as quickly as she she had started, she stopped. Maya was still then slowly crawling over to me, I gently wrapped my arms around her. It's going to be okay, I promise. You'll adjust to this place, to me. In meantime, let's compose, okay? You get freedom around the house when I leave, and in return you agree to stay. Maya, sound fair? She sniffled and nodded. One more thing. Yes, Cameron? <clears throat> I hold onto her a little tighter. Don't ever disobey me again, or you'll find yourself getting more than a scolding. Suddenly, my new Maya shook her head. Good. I'm glad. Okay, what happened? I'm really confused. I'm glad we're clear. Now, get back to bed. As I watched her leave, the light pattern of her bare feet in the hall, I fainted smiling, can't help. Uh, I faint smile, can't help but pass over my face. Technically, she's not Maya, or at least the Maya I need her to be. There are flaws, and I'll definitely have to adjust some of them. But soon, it'll be like my wife was never gone. Hold up. That was so it's not her. <laughs> so it's not her. Nope, he kidnapped her after because in the accident, his wife Maya died. So he, like, found someone yeah. who was like her? Mm-hmm. Like, looked like her? Mm-hmm. That was, you have to admit, that was a good story. <laughs> that was, I was... <laughs> <laughs> But that didn't take as long as I thought, so it's fine. Unlike your 12-hour three... story. Okay. Listen, I didn't know it was going to be that long. We can record more not... later. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. What'd you say? I said maybe. They'll take a bath. You have to take a bath? <laughs> I have to take a bath. So I have to get off. Okay. Text me when you're done. Okay. Bye. Good evening. <laughs> I need to pee. <laughs> I just got <laughs> on. That's why I said, hold on. <laughs> it's been 22 seconds of us talking about this peeing. Okay. What did you-
do if I picked another really long story? Oh my god, I'd lose my shit. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle it. Hmm. So you gonna? I wouldn't know if you, I wouldn't know if you get mad at this one because it's not like um, it's pretty long actually, but like not as long. My next lap one looks to be long, but at least might actually interesting. Listen here, bud. <laughs> You love me. Why are all of these like the same length? <sighs> she never said that. Okay. Wait, <laughs> hold on. Okay, I'm just gonna do this one. What's it called? There's been a string of suicides in my town. The victims always break their mirrors first. Okay, now we're looking at another mirror again. (laughs) (laughs) I will go directly to the mirror after this. (laughs) No! Okay. Okay. Since you did the last story, I guess I'd do this one. Yep. Half a dozen police cars crowded the gravel driveway. Their headlights lighting up a row of trees. The gnarled shadows they drew against the walls of the farmhouse swayed gently in the breeze. I pulled my hair back into a ponytail as I stepped over a line a line of yellow tape. I didn't want to be accused of contaminating any evidence. A young officer eyed me suspiciously, suspiciously as I approached the house, but let me pass through the front door. He knew while I was there, I found Jack's corpse at, in the upstairs bedroom. The blood from his self-inflicted gunshot wound still wet and sticky. Detective Marston, a thin, balding man, stood in the corner of the room writing something in a notebook. Hello, Jane, he says I step, as I step through the doorway. I'm surprised you didn't beat me here. I ignored the comment, squatting down near Jack's body. Most of his head was missing. That's nice. Oh my god. And a, thi- and a thick iron scent hung in the air. The old man wore a pair of blue overalls now spackled with blood. A piece of paper poked out of his chest pocket. I took a look over its shoulder at Detective Marston. You mind I ask? Be my guest. I pulled the paper out and folded it delicately. There were a few words written in shaky hand. It read, it keeps getting closer. It keeps getting closer. That's not creepy at all. I took a picture. Ma'am? Ma'am? Can you not snort cocaine? (laughs) Be very appreciated. Are you Okay. Like, Jesus Christ, calm down. I was thinking of cocaine when you said that. <laughs> really? <Yes. laughs> I took a picture of the note 
with my phone instead of handing it over to the detective for him to read. He read it over a few more times, then paused. I knew he wanted to ask me about it, even if he, even if he hated that he needed me. You've got to have some kind of explanation of this for me. I did, but Marson didn't need to know what my guess was. I'd be I'd been working for months on these suicides. I finally managed to win his trust. I wasn't allowed to bl- blow all my credibility on a guess. That wouldn't have him questioning my sanity. Said I shot that. I looked down the hallway. Maybe. I said, I've got a few more questions first. All the mirrors in the house are broken, I assume. Just like the other cases, yeah, Marston said. Anything that can show a reflection is either broken or thrown out. Who found him? I found the body myself. You guessed that he'd be the next to go, so I decided to drive out here and check on him. I swung my head at the sound of crunching gravel. A car came to stop in front of the house. Headlights flicked off and a girl stepped out, her hands covering her mouth. She looked to be about 20 years old. I shot a questioning look at Marston. It's Olivia, his granddaughter, he said. She's the only one left alive in Jack's family. We called her half an hour ago. He stared at me, his eyes hard. Is she going to be next? I shut my eyes and run my forehead. Yeah, probably. Marston cursed. I handed him a business card. If he wrote anything else down, please let me know. He took the card with a grunt, stuffing it back into his pocket. Uh, I let the, I left the room and made my way out of the house and down the driveway. I'm st- I stopped in front of the girl and extended my hand. I'm sorry for your loss, I said. My name is Jane. I'm a private investigator working on this case. Olivia's eyes hardened. Why are people saying their eyes hardened? What does that mean? <laughs> we don't know, man. I'm like, Me over I'm here like, just doing research on Ted Bundy. <laughs> is that what you're doing next? Yeah. Okay. Good to know you're already researching yours and I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm always ahead of you. Shut up. I don't have mm-hmm. anything to say to reporters. Oh. Yeah, she Okay. I'm not a reporter, I paused, gathering my resolve. And if you don't come with me, I think you're going to die like the rest of your family. Jesus. Oh! You're gonna... You're gonna die. I'm trying not to test. <laughs> Her eyes widened. I'm... Whatever is causing this suicide is spreading, I said. Spreading the friends and family of the victims. First, it was your aunt, then your cousin, now your grandpa. You're the last one. It might already be too late, but it's possible I can help you. Just don't look in a mirror, you'll be fine. Just stay away from reflections. It's okay. Yo, I I know this great lab that puts you in this thing for like three days. It's <laughs> great. It's nothing will harm you in there. <laughs> Except you'll lose your mind a little bit, but it's fine. You'll be alive. <laughs> it's funny. I know this great lab. I know this great guy named Dr. What was his name? (laughs) Something. He's great. Really nice guy. Okay. She she looked from me to the farmhouse over my shoulder. 
suddenly looking up, she might cry. Okay, what should I do? Come with me. She paused for another moment before nodding. And we walked to the car. Olivia, I said, yeah, don't look at any mirrors or my car, on my car, or otherwise. Why? Just don't trust me. She stared at me if I was crazy. But, but she- I would have looked immediately in a mirror. Someone tells me not to do it. But when I saw, I was serious, she agreed. I drove towards the road, gravel crunching under my tires. The first few oh, minutes, The first few minutes of the drive passed in silence. Olivia took a deep breath, then turned to look at me. So what's going to happen to me? First, I'll tell you what I know, then what I guess. I said, running over the details in my mind. The pattern for each victim is the same. According to their friends and family, victims start by showing erratic and paranoid behavior. Oh, Lord. Grandpa Jack was the same, Olivia said, ever since he found my mom's body. I nodded. Their paranoid behavior is always followed by the breaking or covering of all reflective surfaces. Suicide comes next. The next victim is usually a close friend or family member, typically typically in the same household. They begin they begin begin to show the same paranoid symptoms. They commit suicide soon after, and the psychosis spreads again. If that's what you know, she said, what do you guess? I swallowed hard. I don't I don't think that this is the work of a serial killer. Each method of suicide is different, and I don't know it of any drugs or poison that can cause a specific kind of psychosis in victims ranging from teenagers to retired 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 people uh i shook my head i probably should have dismissed that possibility a long time ago if not a serial killer then what i i said trailing off as we reached my apartment i paused to to park and walk up if i say that to my door, locking the dead bull behind us for all good to do. Then what, she asked. I walked to my home office and pulled out a folder. I followed up on nearly 30 deaths over the past three months. Some of them left suicide notes. I pulled out the pictures I'd taken from the cramp scenes. Most of the suicide notes were short and all disjointed and confusing. I handed them to her. I saw it and reflected it in Marge's eyes. Even her eyes aren't safe. I can't sleep. It'll be watching me. The fingers. The fingers. It was in my rear view mirror today. It w- It's almost touching me. Uh, uh, uh. No, I don't sleep in my rear mirror. No, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I hope you'll say me either. Olivia, there's more. Olivia continued to flip through suicide notes. Her expression growing more and more disturbed. I finally pulled out my phone and showed her the note her grandfather had written. It's getting closer. It keeps coming closer. Uh, I'm tenant. I have Christmas lights hanging in my room. I'm plugging them in. <laughs> As I throw up. Was this from my grandpa? Olivia asked. Her voice choked. Yes, and like I said, I think you're next, I said. She stared at me in horror. What do I do? Every victim broke their mirrors and several mentioned reflections in their suicide notes. That means it's for the best if you avoid them. I'll cover the one hanging in my bathroom. You should also give me your phone. The black screen has a reflection, and I don't want to take any chances. You know, all he's... She nodded... Oh, yeah, because he's taking everything away from you. So, like... 
my god, he's the murderer. No, it's like, well, first of all, the she. Oh, shit, my bad. If you were, if you would listen, maybe you would know that her name is Jane. She is a female. She nodded numbly. I took down my bathroom mirror and set it in the corner of my living room before covering with a blanket. You can sleep on the couch. We'll talk more tomorrow. <clears throat> it was hard to sleep that night. My mind was flooded with images of the brutal suicides I'd investigated over the past three months. Olivia was a rare opportunity. I had control over a victim before psychosis hit in. Maybe I could save her. Maybe. The next morning, I woke up and found Olivia sitting on the couch, staring into space. Her head swiveled at me. I was afraid I'd see violence or near fear in her eyes. Instead, I saw intensity. I need to look in the mirror, she said. Why, I asked. Whatever the others saw was enough to basically break their minds. It could kill you. I need to know. You can cover it up once I see it. I almost rejected the idea, but my curiosity got the better of me. Would I see something in the reflection behind her? Was one exposure enough to kill her? Where? Oh, God. Okay, I said, bringing my still-covered mirror from the front from the corner. I grabbed the corner and slowly lifted the blanket, watching Olivia's face for any reaction. She stared at the mirror intently until the blanket was pulled away. Then she shook her head and looked at me. I don't see anything. Really? I asked, my mind racing. Maybe I had jumped to a neighbor instead. Maybe Jack had a bowling friend or something. Maybe. My phone rang, the chirp making me jump. I looked at the display. It was Detective Marston. Detective, I said. You have any new information for me? It, 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 I see it, he said, his voice trembling. What, I asked, my face suddenly cold. I broke the mirror so I wouldn't see it anymore. But it's still reflected in the shards. Jane, please help me. You said you had a guess. Why didn't you tell me about this? Oh, God, I thought about it again. If I look in the bathroom, I'll see it. Oh, God, even my phone has a... His voice His voice cut out with the sound of the phone hitting the floor. Marston, I shouted. Marston, I'm coming. I hung up and turned to Olivia. I was wrong, I said. It wasn't you. It's a detective. There still might be time. I ran down to my car, surprised that Olivia was running down the steps behind me. We sped across town, Olivia dialing the police while I snaked down several windy country roads. I reached Marston's house, told Olivia to stay in the car, and ran up the steps in his front door. It was unlocked. Marston laid inside of the bath. Blood splattered the white tiles. A piece of shattered mirror hung limply in one hand. He'd taken his it to his own neck. I looked away, doing my best to choke down the vomit that rose in my throat. Then he gasped, his eyes flicking open. I, I didn't even know him, he said, his voice raspy and gurgling. I just found the body. And that was all. He trailed off, blood choking off his words. His head slumped forwards, a few drops flickering off his nose. I leaned against the wall of the bathroom, trying to control my breathing. It was the most gruesome thing I've ever seen. Then I slowly looked to my left. His, his medicine cabinet still hung on the wall. Its mirror had been shattered in the center, long cracks surrounding at central point. I saw myself reflected two dozen times in the individual 
shards, I've thought back through all cases, all the victims, family members, friends, and neighbors. They weren't just close to the victim. Each of them had found the victim's bodies. I looked at Marston's now lifeless body. Then I looked back at the mirror. The mirror swung, changing my view from myself to a view in the kitchen. A figure stood there, reflected two dozen times in the shards. It was impossible to get a good view due to the damage, but it was a creature with eyes sunken deep in its skull. Its, its hands had long, gnarled fingers. It was staring at me. I thought Marston's body was the worst thing I'd ever seen, but this was far, far worse. I slammed my palms over the eyes, the broken image of the creature burning into my brain like a hot iron. I vomited onto the towels before running for the front door with my hands still clamped firmly onto my face. My foot hit the step and twisted. I felled the rest of them in a tangled heap. Blood oozed from my scrapes in my elbows, knees and forehead, but I didn't remove my hands from my eyes. I laid in the grass, the warm sun on my face, and I wished for nothing more than the will to claw my own eyes out. The thing... That thing was following me. I had no doubt. I had no doubt it was getting closer to me. The thought of seeing it again forced at my side where I vomited again. Jane, Olivia said, scrambling to my side. Jane, what happened? You're not next, Olivia. I said my voice a little more. Whisper, I'm next. So what do you think? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Never looking at him here again. Same, well, no hunting a dead body again. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm not. I'm just. If I ever see a dead body, I'm just like, nope. Right out the window. Unless I kill the person, then that's different. <laughs> if if someone committed suicide, and I find the body, then I'm just gonna die. All right, that's I kill what them, I'm... or I see someone kill them, then I'm good. <laughs> it's a-okay oh geez. never sleeping i'm just never sleeping again it's okay. okay um so i'm gonna let you pick which one we do next because i have a really long one i have one that's like shortish and then i have another one <laughs> You're, you have more. How many do you have? I have three. I thought we were only doing two. What the? I don't know. Just pick one. Oh, you said five each, didn't you? Yeah. Or did you just? God, okay. So I have two more or one more or two more. I'm really confused. This is a long ass episode. <laughs> See, I was going to change it to where we did five all together. So maybe we should do six. So we each should do three. Okay, fine. Okay, we'll do six then. Um, so just pick one, two, or three. What? One, two, or three. Two. Two? Okay. (laughs) You picked the long one. (laughs) Can I change my answer? Nope. This is called. (laughs) No, please. But it has sexual violence in it. Please, I have a family. (laughs) Do it at night. What are you going to do with your family? I don't know. (laughs) Probably nothing. I just, 
Also, I only have an hour. I only have an hour left too, so I mean. We're very. I used to work in a prison. Hold on. Oh, okay. That's the story. I was like really confused. Like what? Yeah, I used to work in a prison, man. Oh man, why didn't you ever tell me this? I'm sorry. I'm a sergeant, always on the floor with the offenders and have the same person as my pod officer in all of these. <laughs> all male. I a female. I am female. Very young for this job. And the offenders know it by my face. Just just for some preservation. It was late in my shift, about 4 a.m. I work 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. My house was coming. My house was coming back from breakfast. Wait, what's the story uh, called? Wait, like, it's. I used to work in a prison. Oh, that's the name of it. Yeah. It's very great. It's a real account. This is a real story. Oh, okay. You want me to finish this one or do the other sister? What? Do you want this one or the other sister? Which one is shorter? About the same. This one, I guess. Out of 204 offenders, about 80% normally go before meals. As they were coming back, I was making sure they were going they were going into the right going to the right side looking down one one who works were getting ready and everyone else basically just got along and went back to where they were supposed to be my pod officer called the phone on the side I was on and told me something didn't look right so I get off the phone and run over to the other side where the two doors in the hall uh, spring open while I was there, a smaller man was holding a cell door shut, so I ran over there to tell him to go lock to go lock down as I'm forcing the door open. Blood sprays all over me. I throw the rest <clears throat> I throw the door the rest of the way and and see two men. One on the bunk bed and one on top of the guy on the bunk. The guy on top Chewing, clawing the other's eyes out. Literally has an eyeball of the guy on the bunk, on the floor. The other one is hanging out of his hand. I yell, stand by, and I shoot the taser on, <clears throat> and both punks stick to the attacker. I call a signal, cuff the attacker. By that, by that point, the other officer is there, and I have to hold him. I have to hold on to the attacker while they assist the attack, while I go assess the attacker. On further inspection, he is alive, awake, and literally holding the <clears throat> indentations in. There is five slashes with, where his guts are pouring out onto him. I call 
CM signals to let them know the severity of the issue. The attacker pushes my officer, so I turn around and deck him. By that point, the me- by that point, medical and the riot squad come and give me my gear. I get geared up, calm the house down. The thing that stuck with me is I was loading this man into the helicopter to be taken to the hospital. He said it was all my fault that I'm supposed to keep him safe. I take full responsibility for this and still this day feel <laughs> feel like it's all my fault. I look the guy the guys up and talk to some of the higher up gang leaders in my house that get along with me quite well. I found out that the man actually was there for raping a white supremacist gang member that is actually quite high up in the chain's daughter while the father was in prison. So he hired someone to apparently do that. About a month after that, after I went to court to give my part on the incident, the man is 100% blind. He has a cloth for me bag and has to have a feeding tube. I have plenty of stories about this horrible incident. That end. That was interesting. I got his eyes open. Yeah, what? That must have been fun. So much. That one was kind of boring. So do I? I guess. Do you mind now? Yep. So I guess I do my last one. Mm-hmm. have an interesting one. At least the name. What's it called? It. Hold on. Why I removed all my doors from my house. The picture is very nice. I really enjoy it. Wait, let me see how long it is. Okay, no. Never mind. <laughs> Hold on, wait. God having technical difficulties. I'm trying to find an actual good one. Okay, I'm just gonna do it. I don't care. What, the long one? It's not like yeah I'll do a long one it's not like really long it's I would say it's about the same as the uh the last one I did okay okay why I removed all my doors doors from the house my grandmother used to say her house was haunted they're on the other side of the doors if you listen closely you can hear them she'd say her words weren't those of an afraid woman. They weren't filled with sadness nor despair, but rather joy. She'd tell me stories about the ghosts that had stayed in her house. And as she did, her eyes were always filled with longing and love. 
so they're not bad ghosts, I would ask. Too young to understand the com- complexities and good of good and evil. Of course not, sweetheart. They would never hurt you. I truly loved my grandma, but I didn't visit her often. My mother wouldn't let me. To her, the house had an uneasy atmosphere, one full of malice, as if an unknown and frightening entity loomed over the place. It didn't help that we lived several hours away, making it difficult for grandma to visit us. With her advancing age and declining health, it made me sad that she lived all alone in such a big old house, but she didn't mind, seem to mind. I'm not alone, she would say. Our love kept us together, even after he passed. I knew she was talking about my grandpa, her late husband. However, she mentioned several figures that kept her company. People I assumed were her own parents, or even some who could have been siblings back in her day. Back in her day, people remained to, at home to die, spending their last month with loved ones, comfortable at home in their beds because of that multitude of different houses had drawn their last breaths in her very own house. As time went by, my memories of the old house started to fade. I wasn't too busy growing up, and my mother didn't care to visit her childhood home. As the ripe old age of 95, my grandma passed away, peacefully at home with a smiling still lingering on her face. Her last will and testament arrived a couple of weeks later. By that time, I hadn't seen her in years and the sight of the papers made me feel a bit guilty. There wasn't much of a personal message left behind, but it was stated that my mother would inherit all of her belongings, everything save for the house, which was left to me. Seeing as I just in the process of getting married to my very pre- pregnant fiancé, it would be perfect gift to st- start our newly lit- wedded life. We moved in a month later after spending what little money we had left refurnishing the place. Unlike the warm yet mystical feeling of a house had held when I was a child, it felt cold, eerie as an adult. Even with new furniture and fixed frames, the house was still loud with creaks and strange witch whispers behind each closed door. My fiancé, soon-to-be wife, Alice, also noticed the strange fog of weirdness looming over the house. And my mother was still hesitant to visit. But when all things were said and done, my grandma had led a full and happy life in the house, and no harm had ever come to her. So we were eager to start our life together. It truly turned out to be an idyllic place, perfect to raise children with lush green fields and vast forests surrounding the neighborhood. We spent the next decade there, gifted with two children, a young boy named Alex and a little girl named Amanda. From the very beginning, it looked like we were in the makings of a happy ever after. Alas, it wasn't meant to be. On the 3rd of September, 2017, my entire family was killed in a burglary gone wrong. What a turn. Yeah. It goes from, oh, man, we're happy family. We can live happy forever. No, all of them got killed in a robbery. Dang. It's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember much from the night itself, just that I woke up to strange sounds and a shattering shattering window. I wasn't a particularly brave man. What if my family was put at risk? I'd do whatever I could to defend them. I grabbed the baseball bat. I was planning to gift Alex for his 10th birthday and went to investigate in the dark. Before I could even turn a corner, I felt a sharp pain shoot through my chest. 
As one of the intruders lodged a knife between my ribs, I fell to the ground, unable to breathe and unable to move my legs. I tried to call out for my wife, to warn her about the approaching men, to give her a chance to get the kids and run. But my lungs had filled with blood, and I couldn't get a single coherent word out. There I lay, dying helplessly on the floor, as my wife tried to fight off the two men that had entered out, out, out our house. She screamed as she stabbed her quickly, going to panic, to gargle, to silence. Then everything went black. I guess they didn't bother double-checking, or maybe the pool of blood I produced around me made me look dead. But despite their efforts at exterminating my family, I had somehow survived. I awoke as the ambulance rushed me to the hospital, and I cried out for my family as they prepped me for surgery, yet didn't know that they had been killed yet. I still had hope. But that tiny amount of belief that my wife and children had survived was quickly extinguished. According to the police, the intruders were junkies looking for anything they could sell. During the break-in, they'd they'd been doped out of their minds and attacked everyone in their vicinity. Even as the police chased them down, they fought back, which ultimately resulted with them both getting shot dead. No closure, no coherent reason for their break-in, why they'd chosen our house rather than the neighbor's vacant home. I was left with no good explanation, no justice. As for myself, the stab wound had been deep, so much that the knife had partially damaged my spine, enough to leave me with limited use of my legs and left arm. It would take months of rehabilitation before I could even go back home to an empty house. Naturally, my brother want, mother wanted me to stay with her until I, I could come to terms with what had happened. She helped, She had gotten old, but she still wanted to take care of me, help me through the trying times. She meant well, but in a morbidly depressing way. Staying in the house was the last connection I had to my deceased family. It was a place of love filled with memories of a life brutally cut short. Though I felt more connected to them at the at home, I couldn't sleep in our old bedroom, nor enter our children's room. rooms. Instead, I slept in the guest room, one of the few places still untainted of my tragedy. The next few weeks were spent in a haze of denial and anger at myself that I'd failed to save my family. In just the span of five minutes, my entire world had been shattered beyond repair and I saw no solace in the foreseeable future. The house still made its usual weird sounds, creaks, howling wind, and whispers hiding behind each every closed door. They'd always kept me company, but in the past they'd been little more than a vague presence, something to ignore, to push it back of my mind. After the tragedy, they seemed to wake, turn coherent and understandable. As I listened intently, to the house speaking the strange whispers started to take shape and before long I could actually understand them one night three weeks and day and it freaked me out (laughs) it wasn't even like a normal shut off it was like my phone went dark and then it turned on. How, wait, so what was the last word you hear me say? Uh, 
he felt close to his family at the house, and he slept in the guest bedroom. So I've been like, I went through, I went three paragraphs after that. Damn. The paragraphs aren't long though. So do I continue from where I left off, or to where you didn't hear? Where you left off? Okay. God, why are people? I don't even know you. Okay. One night, three weeks, and a day. Oh, he was talking about how he could start understanding the voices now behind the doors. One night, three weeks, and days after my return home, I woke to the sound of a voice coming down from the hall. I shot to my feet and slowly approached the sounds. It was someone singing, a beautiful, cheerful voice coming from inside our own bedroom. But it wasn't just any song, no. It was the one my wife frequently used at home as she got ready in the mornings. Some old Italian verse her fa- fa- her mother used to sing to her when she was a kid. Well, I never understood the words. It always comforted me, even on the most stressful day. Where, uh, where, okay. It had become a symbol of love, peace, one I missed every day without her. Alice, I said, starting to wonder if I was dreaming. I pressed my ear against the door in disbelief at hearing my dead wife's voice. She didn't respond. She just kept seeing me on the other side. As soon as I confirmed it was her voice, I hopelessly barged in through the door, distraught to find it empty on the other side, filled with nothing but an empty bed and a closet full of clothes never to be worn again. For a second, I felt a grain of happiness, but her shifting taken away as her serene voice vanished in the darkness of night. I collapsed to the floor and cried for the first time since their deaths. I'd been so numb to my ability to feel had simply shut down, but the overwhelming emotion I felt from hearing my wife again finally broke me. I fell asleep on the floor that night, and once I woke, I convinced myself I'd been just a dream. Nothing more. Uh, hold on. Hold on. Okay. The heartbreaking belief lasted until the next night when I woke to laughter coming from Alex's bedroom. Alex, is that you? I called out as I approached his closed door. The laughter unmistakably belonged to my dead son, that along with the sounds of toys being flung around. And the light footsteps running around the room made me temporarily forget everything that had happened in the few fa- past few months. Alex, I said with tears in my eyes, but he couldn't hear me. And once I opened the door, I was met with another dark, silent room. In the blink of an eye, I plunged back into reality, alone and afraid. As I felt his presence vanish, I thought back to my childhood, spending more time with my grandmother listening to the stories. They're on the other side of the door always there. If you listen closely, you can hear them, she said. The whispers I heard since I was a kid, they were real. Just too vague. Just too vague and hard to decipher. My grandma heard her heard her husband because he was the person she loved the most in the entire world. That's why I couldn't understand. Now the go- that the ghost belonged to my family, it became 
unpunditedly clear that why my grandma loved the house so much. It was because she could stay surrounded by her lost loved ones. Each night, the voices continued. Next in line was my daughter, Amanda. I heard her jumping up and down while she talked to her stuffed animals, pretending they were real creatures out on adventures. She sung to them with a voice as beautiful as her mother's. <clears throat> and I listened while holding my breath. That night, I never opened the door. I just sat there listening to her play around, smiling as I was once again living in a house full of life. I quickly became a nightly routine. I'd sleep during the days, and at night, I'd huddle up outside the bedroom doors with a blanket just to listen to them go to their lives, go on about their lives. Not knowing what horrible things had happened to them, days, weeks, and even months passed, and I lived my life through them unable to let go. It wasn't a great life, but it's all I had. I couldn't stand to lose my connection to them, so I kept at it. My wife was the first to break her usual nighttime routine. She'd usually awoken me with the sound of her singing or by telling bedtime stories to her kids, but that would all come to a crashing end. On that particular night, I was jolted awake to the sound of her terrified screams. I shot to my feet and instinctively called out to her. On the other side of that closed door, I heard her struggle, demanding that someone stay away from her. It was all too familiar memory, one I'd struggle to forget. It was the moment the killer entered our room to kill her. I burst through the door, knowing fully well that I couldn't help, but that I could at least end the nightmare. As usual, once the door had been opened, everything fell silent. Then I heard cries coming from Alex's room. He'd been awoken by Alice's screams and wanted to find out what was going on. Her cries were quickly shut up as one of the intruders entered his room and slit his throat. I heard a short whimper before he fell to, silent. Last in the line was Amanda, but I quickly opened the door before I could be tortured by the sound of her frantic screams as intruders ended her life. Following that night, I decided to leave the doors open. No matter the fact that I'd never hear my family again, I couldn't face their deaths for a third time or fourth time. At last one nightfall came the, the, the doors were inexplicably shut and sealed an ordeal started all over. The screams of my wife and children, their cries as they realized what was about to happen to them. My failure to save them, it all crushed me. In the end, I had no option left but to remove each door from their hinges. To end the nightmare once and for all, only the bathroom and guests room doors remained. It worked. Without a filter between the real world and the past, I had nothing to listen to. Nothing save the deafening silence of an empty house. It was impossible it was an impossible choice to live peacefully without the comforting voices of my family. Never again would I hear them die, but I'd also be left alone forever. Then I heard sound of someone crying. I was heading to bed when I heard a familiar voice sobbing through the guest door. It wasn't my wife, nor the cries of the child of a child. It was me. I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. I stood speechless, too terrified to even open the door. But I was quickly brought back to my senses when I heard a gunshot from the other side, followed by a quick thump, and then nothing. Until that point, the house had always spoken with voices from the past, but then something more sinister had approached, something that hadn't happened yet. 
I didn't go to sleep at night, nor did I dare to enter the guest room. I simply sat at my kitchen table until I passed out from a haze of exhaustion and alcohol. And once daylight arrived, I removed that door as well. Whether what I heard behind that door is my ultimate destiny or if I can somehow survive that nightmare remains to be seen. I can't say I haven't thought about ending it all, but for now I've removed every single door from my house. At least it's finally quiet. And that's the end of that. Wow. <laughs> that's that wasn't scary. It was just really depressing. Ooh. I'm sad. Me too. <laughs> and on that note, we're gonna end this here. <laughs> no, you're not gonna did you already tell three? Hmm. Yeah. I think probably I'm tired, man. And that on a and that on a depressing note. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> I know. I'll edit it. Welcome to our mini episode. <laughs> it's when you first started. Two hours long. Our longest one yet. Welcome to our mini series. <laughs> we'll do this once a month. <laughs> Hopefully, a lot better next time. We don't actually know what the hell we're doing. We never do. Words are so bad. (laughs) Thank you for listening. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye bye. (laughs) Bye.